Welcome to Pilot Boys episode 124. Today we have some news and notes around some NFL contracts. Calvin Ridley, Coach K coaching his final home game. Gas prices going crazy. And then we're going to take a short break and we will be back with a deep dive on controlling your mindset. So we will see you shortly for that. Buckle up your seatbelts, put the tray tables up. The Pilot Boys are about to take off. Let's go. Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. Hi, V. Let's start with what the NFL has been pushing all year is the sports book. And maybe their advertising was a little bit too good. Because uh, Calvin Ridley from the Falcons got caught putting down a few bets and ended up getting banned for a season. What do you think about this? Uh, this is an interesting conversation. It's multi-layered. Obviously, you understand why the NFL took this type of step. They cannot. Professional sports leagues um, cannot afford to be compromised or have their players or anybody compromised by sports betting. So usually, when any sort of violation occurs, they take extreme measures. In this case, Calvin Ridley bet about $1,500 on some parlays while he was out injured. NFL, through their uh, detectives, figured out that he had done that, um, and now they are suspending him for a full year, which equates to $1,500 costing him $11 million in salary. Now, where this conversation gets a little tricky to me is um, that it is well documented um, that Calvin Ridley uh, left the Falcons due to the fact that he was dealing with some mental health issues. He wasn't playing on the team, although, and there was no evidence that he used any inside information uh, to make these bets. And so my question is, if the NFL and if professional organizations are going to be committed to mental health as well, um, to take that into account into this scenario specifically as to whether or not his mental health issues or what he was going through depression-wise played into him making this decision? And if so, the question is, um, should he be given a, uh, a longer leash or a less severe penalty if that was the case? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's it's also interesting just because this is probably the first of many of these types of issues that they're going to have to deal with over the coming years, given the, you know, the push to involve sports betting so deeply into the NFL. They're even putting uh, casinos in a couple of the stadiums. I believe the uh, the Vegas stadium is one of those that that is able to actually take bets when you're going to watch a game. And so with that becoming such a big part of the culture, yes, you know, it can corrupt the game if a player gets involved, but you know, to your point, being in a situation like this, or if it's a player with no impact on the game, I think those lines are going to get increasingly blurred. And, you know, on the, on the, you know, side, like, why wouldn't you place your bet if you're a player through your friend or family member? Why would you place it yourself? Yeah. And that's exactly the question that you have to, to ask here is, you know, this is clearly a mistake that he made. He didn't do it with ill intent and he wasn't playing at the time and he's dealing with, he was dealing with some issues that could compromise his decision making. I personally think that if you are going to, you know, not just as a society, we're not going to just, you know, say mental health is, we're taking mental health seriously. I think it is that should be 
factored into the decision. That's my personal opinion. I don't know how you how you feel about it. And then also suspending him for another year, how that could also impact him versus, you know, a a different, a less severe penalty with uh, with conditions as to why it wasn't as severe as, as they had yeah. This could have been a, a 25K fine and then move on. Yeah. Given how small of a of, of an offense it is. Yeah. And it's like sometimes you realize that it's like these low level uh, marijuana offenses that become so punitive depending on who you are and who committed the, who committed the crime. It, it would be interesting to see if this was an owner who had done this, what the penalties would be versus a player. I'm sure, and I'm sure that's happened. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I don't think we ever are going to hear about those situations. I mean, the owner of the, the Colts was found with felony-level amounts of drugs in his vehicle um, and was under the influence of those drugs and barely got a slap on the wrist. So we see that there are two different sets of rules that the NFL tends to follow at times. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Um, in other NFL news, we saw uh, Aaron Rodgers extend with the Packers. Um, heard news of a four-year, two hundred million dollar contract, which leaves, uh, I think, one hundred fifty-two or one hundred fifty-three million of it is guaranteed. Actually, so it's it reduces his cap hit, but it's also making him the highest-paid QB, which is something he was vocalizing over the last few weeks that he desired. Uh, what do you think about this, V? I mean, obviously, Aaron Rodgers is a back-to-back MVP and the best quarterback in the business. Um, if you look at the Packers and how they're constructed, um, you take Aaron Rodgers out of the QB role there, the team declines significantly because they do not have a lot of skill position talent beyond um, the running backs and Devontae Adams. Um, Aaron Rodgers makes that show go, keeps them competitive, um, in this scenario, I think he does deserve um, deserve this contract. Um, it's actually the makes him the highest paid player in NFL history. Wow. Um, also, which again, you always put things into context. I think in this scenario, nobody can really question what Aaron Rodgers' value is as a football player. But I do think that when a team commits this type and this level of finan- financial support to you. The question now becomes, um, does Aaron Rodgers now have a higher standard for how he carries himself um, in terms of how he criticizes the team, how he criticizes management? Um, How will that kind of all of that play out? We know there are some um, issues that have transpired between the organization and him. Does this satisfy everyone or do some of these problems continue uh, to persist knowing um, that Aaron Rodgers is an outspoken person and is never going to bite his tongue. Exactly. And is, is that change the organization can make with the rest of the team enough to satisfy him now that he, you know, his demands have been met. He's also going to want organizational change to get, get a stronger you know team around him. And if green Bay is not able to meet those demands, I think you're going to have, an increasingly vocal player who not only is getting paid a ridiculous amount, but is also really driving a lot of the media narrative around himself. And I thought it was interesting that I saw a tweet about this, but um, news about him came out during the combine and trended last week. And it was, it was not related at all to the combine. It was about the contract discussions. And it's just interesting that he and his agent really know how to play the media game to get what they need done. Yeah. 
And to contrast that with uh, with what you sent me, you sent me a link the other day from the letter from Kyler Murray's <laughs> ag agent, which we both found uh, pretty hilarious, right? It's like, if you want a contract, just go out there and play it. Don't uh, play for it, earn it. The Arizona Cardinals are going to pay Kyler Murray. He is tied to a rookie contract. It is an interesting conversation, right? Because rookie contracts considering the, how dangerous the NFL is, um, to want to have your financial future guaranteed uh, is is an argument that you can make, but I don't think that it was made particularly well in this case by Kyler Murray and his agent removing all his Cardinals pictures off of his social media. It's like it's it's you are making something that shouldn't be hostile into a hostile negotiation and and maybe you'll win but i just always find these scenarios um interesting in approach of of how agents move and it's also dangerous it's a dangerous game for agents as well because if you don't uh if you do take a stand and and you stand up to your client and you say hey this probably isn't a good idea you have the chance of losing that client and losing your percentage on his next deal. So it's an interesting scenario over there in uh in Arizona. I like Kylo Murray, don't like this situation for him. Yeah. It's it's interesting too, because I mean obviously he's played well, but I don't know if he's had the the type of season this season to be demanding this type of contract. They haven't won a playoff game, you know? Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's it's weird. And it's yeah. like the flip is, you know, you had Mahomes get extended. I think that gave a lot of quarterbacks envy in the league. And I think for good reason, because he won a Super Bowl. And then Josh Allen got his big deal, too. But I think you look at you look at those two teams. Kansas City has won a Super Bowl. Josh Allen and the Bills finished with the number one overall seed this year. Um, they're both performing um, at very, very high levels, you know, and Kyler Hey, do you do what you need to do? But I just thought that the letter was kind of corny. Yeah, you know <laughs> the thing that the thing that's interesting to me is that the messaging is always we want to make sure we get paid and we are fully committed to winning, and it's just in the like here, and it's like, well, I don't know about that. I think you're more committed to getting paid here, not really winning. I don't think you care if you win or not. I think that I mean, obviously, people care if they win or not, but I, I just think that if you actually really wanted to win you'd be meeting with that gm and meeting with your coach and you know having those conversations like how can we get better yeah that's 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 the sad reality of this as a business right it's like these guys need to same thing happened with russell wilson after the seahawks won the super bowl was like okay pay me but once they paid him it broke up the rest of the team they weren't able exactly. to extend other players so it's like I don't know. There's there's a conversation here to be had just about how silly. Understand the the rules of having a salary cap, right? To make all the teams equally competitive, and it works very well in the NFL. But I also think there's this other side of this whole salary cap thing with the type of money these these teams make in. You question whether or not it's just a way uh, to keep more po money in the pockets of the owners because. Uh, I think the salary cap could be higher than it actually than it is in most of these teams, especially with revenue sharing um, across teams than TV deals. Um, that I sometimes wonder if that salary cap thing is a little bit silly.
to even do you have. know v do you know how much money an an average nfl team makes in profit or do they make profit they all make a ton of profit um let me uh should be really easy to pull up all right let me look it up we need a jamie on this podcast 381 million per team wow yeah. yeah, so they do have uh, the caps, what, 160, right? Yeah. So they do have a lot of room to move that cap up if they wanted to. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. But, I mean, it's just, again, it's uh, some of these rules and regulations, you see them what they are. And what, what bothers me about it more than anything is that they're the way that the money is distributed. Because in an NFL team, you have, um, you know, 22 starters, which is higher than – then any then plus special teams once you add in special teams that's another unit of 11 players there's some carryover but you see a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers get 50 million a year but then you see running backs who take damage get paid way under the risk that they're taking in other positions kind of there's it doesn't seem like it's equally weighted right and that's also one of the concerns there's always ways to improve just that's just a thought yeah, it's an interesting one, an interesting point you bring up because um, it's not it's not weighted by risk. It's not weighted by anything other than you know what positions get covered, right? And it's like I was reading this article about um, a a player in the draft who probably would play as a tight end, but is going to list as a receiver because the salary difference is about eight or twelve million more. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, so moving into basketball, Coach K coach his final home game and i'm not sure if you saw the video v but uh coach k was pissed that they lost <laughs> unc and he is talking to the crowd and he's like he goes first of all that was unacceptable and the crowd starts cheering and he just goes silence and everyone just dead quiet yeah. <laughs> i was like wow this man is incredible and he he just he was just like that was unacceptable we should have won that game this is not the last game of our season and just walked off the court. And I was just like, that is a true competitor. No wonder this guy has the legacy he has. Yeah. To put this into context, coach K for, coached his first game the year that I was born. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so he's been around for quite a while. And just to see that type of legacy, to maintain that type of consistency of excellence across, across that many years, 40 years is pretty pretty amazing you know what i mean like you we don't see that too much anymore with how much people change jobs coach k could have had professional jobs he could have gone to any other university he stuck with duke for 40 years and i don't i think this might be the last coach um that we will see because the modern era the rules of the game have changed there's so much movement i don't know if we'll we'll see too many more examples like coach k um in in sports no i don't think so either and i think the the attitude he brought to the sport is just something that stands out really meaningfully he's always been the guy that had the measured opinion he always had a really good take on things and it's going to be sad to watch i mean i i don't really watch college basketball unless you know it's it's march madness and we're getting into the into the playoffs of it but um it's definitely going to be interesting to see how this March Madness is, given that it's his last season and um, whether those players are going to be able to find the drive in them to, to do something special. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
you know, in, in uh, you know, I had one more piece of basketball news. So it's not on our list, V, um, but I was reading about it this morning. It was with Russell Westbrook and his family now has been tweeting back and forth with Skip Bayless just about the type of coverage he's receiving. Um, Russ expressing in uh, a post game speech, I believe it was last night, maybe the night before, that he his family is not even able to come to the Lakers games anymore because of the type of hate that they're getting and it seems that they're really getting um you know feeling very offended that people are calling him west brick not west west brook and um you know i think when i read the article i thought of the community he comes from and the amount of pride there is coming from a community like that making it to the nba playing his whole career just to come back home and be essentially the the meme of the NBA for the entire you know season after he has put up really a Hall of Fame worthy career, it's you know for me as a fan I think it's disappointing to see the treatment he's getting regardless of his level of play because I mean he's always been a good guy on and off the court he's always done the right thing and I just I, I just found it tough to see the kind of media treatment he's getting. Yeah, it's very 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 unfortunate. I mean he is not playing well. And that's that's understandable. And fans being upset is understandable. But I think there's something specific within some of these larger markets, specifically L.A., in how fans treat their teams when they're playing well versus how they're treating them when they're playing poorly. Most teams go through these cycles of good and bad play. But I do think that there's most organizations and fan bases know how to maintain a certain level of respect. And I think specifically within the Lakers community, we saw the other day LeBron James getting booed. And it's like, okay, I understand the team's not playing well, but where's the line that you shouldn't cross? Where is that? And I think overall um, in society, we don't have enough checks on fans and fan behavior, right? Because we hold the players accountable to a very high degree of professionalism. I think we don't hold the fans to that same level of accountability at all times. Now in this specific situation, you could say, well, he's being overly sensitive. That's just a name, West Brick. It's just a name. You can understand that, but I think also his his perspective is different in the sense that you guys are making it so that my own family can't come to the games anymore, that they're going to be treated disrespectfully. Um, and I'm going out there and I'm playing every day. It's not like I'm skipping games or I'm out partying or I'm doing anything. We just have Ben Simmons type injury. Yeah. And he's, 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 he's for the most part, just, you know, putting his head down, continuing to play. It's very, very unfortunate. And it speaks volumes. You know, I'm not a big fan of, of Lakers fans. Um, never have been as an NBA fan because I do, do find this, uh, has happened throughout the years with their teams yeah it's been tough to see the um, the media stoke it too i think that's something i've been more aware to being around here is that your cat yep <laughs> that's amazing um from being around here just seeing the amount of hate he gets via the media is just like it's tough, man. I mean, this is a dude from from Compton. You know what I mean? I I believe he's from Compton. He's from South LA, and he came out of there, played at UCLA, right? Has had many Olympic teams, has had many All Stars, has had a legendary career. I mean, 
yeah, maybe he slowed down a step. Maybe his shots aren't going in, but I just don't think booing ever helps a player get better. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's just, it's sad. Um, yeah. Sad to see. <laughs> so in our last piece of news and notes, uh, there is a impending ban on Russian oil about to happen. Gas prices are going pretty crazy and reaching national records. This is something I feel relatively insulated from, being that I've switched to electric and V something, you know, you've been insulated from up until your car got in the shop and now you're back <laughs> back in a gas car for the time being. Um, have you had to get gas yet? No, I have not. I just picked up my car and I got the most fuel efficient car uh, <laughs> available on the lot. <laughs> so having smart cars around now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Trying to trying to trying to trying to squeeze my way in. Uh, I find this whole thing very interesting, right? Because um, the U.S. produces and has the ability to produce a lot of oil, but we continue to depend on foreign oil. And when situations, very, very minimal um, reliance do we have on Russian oil. So sometimes I want, worry that these like events uh, the reaction is always um, extreme, it seems like, you know. Um, and I don't know if gas prices should be this high. It's like, okay, this is happening. Things are in crisis. Let's just overly correct upwards so that we we squeeze consumers. And I think when you look at the strategic oil reserves of the United States, they probably can do something to check and check these gas prices because – it's it's not fair to the average American when you look at their income levels to have to pay $5 a gallon. I heard in LA, it's in California, you see prices upwards of $7 a gallon, right? Wow. I have not even actually seen, I, I don't pay attention to those numbers. Yeah, I don't. I just, when we, when I put this up there, I did some research on the on the topic. So that's what I saw. I was like, this, that's pretty, crazy. yeah, it's, 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 it's nuts. And then I think Shell got in trouble because they all the oil companies said they would no longer buy Russian oil and they got caught buying like discounted oil from a Russian supplier or something like that. So there's all kinds of weird stuff. I know when you under when you look at the overall oil like conglomerate global oil economy, it's a very interesting one um, that oftentimes doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's like a it's like a mafia. <laughs> It absolutely is. And I've been hearing this um, this factoid about 9,000 oil leases in the states that have not been drilled on. And that was an interesting one. And I did a little bit of background research on it. And it sounds like there's been 9,000 oil leases that have been granted to oil companies. But because of low hit rates or picking poor you know, tracts of land or... Um, tracks was actually on a crossword i was doing the other day fun fact um but picking poor tracks of land or um just just not um consistently developing de delivering in the past and so not having the capital needed to develop it sounds like the domestic oil industry is in a weird situation where they know that there are more oil oil rich lands that they want to go to because they feel they'll have a higher hit rate so it's easier to get investors on board but um the government doesn't want to open that up because they haven't used the land that they've already asked for. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a tricky situation and it's, it's being politicized. Everybody knows about, and I thought, you know, whatever you say, I thought the, um, the 
press secretary did a phenomenal job of handling those those politicized questions, no matter what side you're on. Um, that's that's on. actually where I got that factoid. Yeah. From yeah. yeah. And it's like we need to step the, the concern, obviously, from Fox News and far right wings is always trying to push this narrative about how using this opportunity to push the, the entire narrative about uh, greenhouse and, and the environment and and the 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 push to for the environment and then i felt like the press secretary in this situation did a really good job of just saying hey here are the facts instead of like going into the battle um just laying out the facts and saying hey you know this is what it this is what it actually is and i feel like if if that was done more often by our our politicians um we wouldn't have as many issues as we do yeah, and I think it's a it's a pretty fair rebuttal uh, from the yeah. government side is to say, hey, you have nine thousand plots of land. We already said yes to. You want to drill with the prices right now? You can make a killing if you hit oil. Yeah, yep, yep. So it could be. It's interesting, but this is how markets work, right? Is that it wasn't worth it when the price of oil was low to dig in these lands because the hit yeah. rate might be low. The higher the price of oil goes, the more it's worth digging on this land and actually using the you know pre-approved land. So th- to your point, B, this could be one of the situations we're in as the price goes up that we'll probably see some companies starting to drill in those plots of land or being able to raise the investor capital because even if the hit rate is you know, one-fifth of what it would be in, in Keystone or the other areas they want to drill, um, it's likely that it'll still be a very profitable venture. Yeah, it will be. Um, and I think also the whole idea of this is that you guys asked for these leases and these these permits in these areas. Now you want now you're not happy and you want it. It's like, you know, you sometimes you have to play the hand that you're dealt. You yeah. Know? And people it's, live there now. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other thing. It's the other thing. I mean, but, you know, this is this is the nature of our um political system you have lobbyists and the oil and gas lobbyists are amongst the most powerful and the deepest pocketed um and you will always see this and they receive tremendous amount of support specifically and and fund a lot of um conservative based senators um so this is just the nature of our political system playing out you have people on one end who are incentivized to support the oil companies um using this position in this situation to try to leverage themselves into position to maximize profits, um, profit would first. You, would you buy or sell oil stock right now, V? <laughs> I actually bought a bunch of oil stocks at the start of the pandemic, just because I know I'm not, I'm not, I don't make political decisions with my investments. <laughs> so as long as they're not evil companies, I knew that the the impact on oil and gas and because of how strong their lobbyists were that even the thought that electric cars were going to replace them, I think is a misconception because you need oil and gas even for electricity. (laughs) So um, I I got in and they have performed very well. And despite the drops in the market currently, they have continued to perform. They tend to pay good dividends, which is also uh, important, but also, you know, this is, this is an interesting time because uh, all the oil and gas companies have skyrocketed um, in terms of what you want to do, because there is going to be a correction back down where many of these stocks that are flying at the prices they are, you're going to see a correction. You have to make a decision on whether or not um, you want to you take your profits or just 
um, continue to hold and collect those dividends. And, but there aren't there aren't too many safe havens. My advice would be um, if you're in oil and gas to stay there um, for the time being, as long as there's this unrest, it will help balance out your portfolio and the losses you're taking in tech and other other spaces. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to uh, want to quickly comment. I saw a video from the UK or Ukraine president today. First, I think last night was the first night that uh, not a single Russian missile hit anything in the US in the Ukraine because the Ukraine air defenses worked um, 100% across the board. And uh, he put out a message literally broadcasting his address. He's like, I'm staying here. You can't you can't get me. We're going to win this war. And I just every day that passes, I gain more respect for this man. He's so awesome. Yeah, he's a, he's definitely a, a very uh, very important leader um, of Ukraine, and it just shows you uh, that you know it's hard to beat somebody who's motivated, right? Yeah, Inspired. Uh, it seems like the opposite effect on the on the Russian side. You had a, 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 a expat oligarch just put a million dollar price on Putin's head. Um, it seems like th- this is something that is his war and not the country's war. And we'll see how that continues to play out because these these leaders, um, especially leaders with the type of mentality as he has, is um, they don't know how to quit while they're ahead. So I don't know if he'll continue to double down. But yeah. it's it's bad. The Russian, if you're anybody who has any stake in the Russian economy right now, you're getting crushed. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just, just for comparison's sake, that is 20 times the amount that was put on Drake for getting any dirt on him before the Pusha T diss track. So just so we have some context here, <laughs> killing Putin is 20 times more valuable than uh, getting dirt on Drake's son. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What a world. Well, it's it's going to be an interesting time. I hope that this thing gets settled. Uh sooner than later but it's it doesn't seem like a well i mean russia very explicitly came out and said these are the four criteria and it doesn't seem like ukraine is agreeing to those criteria so we will continue to see war and death and it's it's scary to see like now that as things keep going you're seeing the russian military objective become more and more vicious and ruthless you know, civilians are dying, kids are dying over something that seems very petty. And uh, yeah. it's, it's sad. It's Absolutely. sad that the rest of the world, we just sit here powerless because they have some nukes. You know, it's kind of yeah. scary. <laughs> Definitely. You know, and uh, on that note, we'll we'll hit pause on this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that we, that, it's uh, just stay safe out there and uh, and and keep a positive mindset and don't read the Russian Ukraine don't headlines. Tweet. Don't yeah. tweet right now. Yeah, it's not good for your health. Yeah. All right. And on that note, we'll wrap up our news and notes. We'll be back with a deep dive on controlling your mindset. Show the Pilot Boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. Hey, this is Partha. Not only am I a pilot boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. I started Lasso to help people improve their movement on a daily basis. We design and create compression apparel that enables you to move confidently, recover safely, and ultimately be the best version of yourself. 
We use a patented compression technology that activates key ligaments and tendons to help you improve your proprioception, coordination, and balance on a daily basis. Lasso socks were recently ranked number one by Men's Health because of how much they improve how your body works and the overall comfort, softness, and feel of the product. We're very proud of the Lasso socks, so check them out on our website at lassogear.com or at lassogear. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. All right, episode 124, Deep Dive. V-Man, you ready for this? Yeah, man, kick it off. This is one that has been on my mind for you know several weeks now, um, controlling your mindset. And really what I want to get into today is this concept that when we live our lives, we always think of the emotions we go through, like the good days, the bad days, happy, sad, you know, anxious, depressed, like we think of these mental states and conditions as symptoms of the outside world and as, you know, a byproduct of what we're born into. Um, It feels like in today's day and age, you know, with what we talk about all the time with the mental health issues that athletes are going through, et cetera, um, we feel like we're in an era where mental health is more prevalent than ever as a conversation topic. And I just want to dive into the nature of mental health and put forth this theory that maybe the whole thing's in our control and we just don't acknowledge that. And, uh, you know, where, where this comes from for me is the amount of people, you know, I'll, I'll recount a story. I had somebody I was talking to uh, professionally. And they were like, oh, man, like you need to be as a founder, as a, as a CEO, you need to be stressed. You need to be anxious. You need to be, you know, essentially conveying passion through a poor mental state is is what um, what that person wanted to see from me. And it it showed me that in our society, we attribute a poor mental state to positive virtues, the virtues of working hard, the virtues of success. And it's even with wealth, the popular narrative with wealth is unhappiness. You know, people don't like to be wealthy and happy. They like to be wealthy and unhappy because that's something to talk about. And I think that we create this narrative where people are looking for reasons to be unhappy in their minds for attention or to be able to talk about it or for whatever it is. And they're they're losing a lot of their own power to claim their mental state, to claim that space for themselves within their head and their ability to create a positive environment. And I think that, um, you know, that's a very overlooked skill that we have is to be able to sit down and actually create positive energy and a positive space within our minds. Like we can control our interpretation of the world around us and make that a positive experience. We don't have to succumb to other people's definitions of good and bad. And yet we do on a consistent basis. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation specifically around the degree of control that human beings have. And I think ultimately um, you do have control, but you have to take control in the society we live in today. You actually have to make a conscious decision to take control. And then you also have to have the conscious ability to to rationalize and logically dissect uh, the environment we live in and say that it is a harmful environment, right? And those are questions that I don't think 
or processes that I don't think people generally like to go through. We all just kind of react um, to what's going on around us. And as a result of just reacting, we give up control, right? If you approach uh, your mindset through, this is, this is what I want my mindset to be and actually work through it versus saying, I don't know what that is and reacting to all the stimuli that are coming from the external world, um, you're putting yourself in, in a position to not have a lot of control, right? And yeah. that is that is the ultimate challenge here is how do you actually develop the mindset uh, to be able to control your own mind and actions? Because when your mind is influenced heavily by what other people are saying, um, it's it's it, it can be very confusing. And I talk to a lot of people who ultimately are very confused um, as to how they should behave. Um, and, you know, I think a bigger issue than mental health uh, in this country is the idea of insecurity. Um, very few people are actually very secure with who they are. Um, and that seems to lead to some of these mental health issues because nobody's developing an identity. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, where I think it starts is actually in infancy. Like I think about you've, you've seen toddlers, you know, play at the playground, right? And yep. you've seen their moms there. A toddler falls and the mom can have one of two reactions. The first reaction is that the mom freaks out, runs over to the toddler. Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And the yeah. second reaction is the mom says, oh, you're okay. Come on, keep playing. Yeah. Right? That to me sets the framework for an individual for their entire life on how they deal with adversity. Yeah, it is. And it's a, that's the, uh, the conversation here that I don't think people in this country want to have is that we have a parenting crisis. Um, in terms of we're dealing with a culture that is, again, through generations has been influenced by external variables. Um, and there isn't really a guidebook to parenting. Right. Uh, yeah, there's many, but there's also not one. That's, there's that's, not one. Yeah. When there's so many, that means there isn't one. There really isn't one. There's just a whole bunch of books that are being written and, and selling, yeah. and making, making some authors and publishers some money. Yeah. But the reality is, is that there isn't an acceptance, and it's a difficult challenge, right? When you have an emotional, there isn't a relationship more emotional than I think a parent to their child that exists right? Um, from the get-go, it is, it is flooded and crowded by trying to dissect what, how you should handle somebody and handle your child to make them the best version of themselves and counteract that with the love and feel that you have for them. And sometimes you are pushing your panic button in that scenario that happened. What's happening is the parent is <laughs> taking their internal feeling of panic and putting it on their child. Right. Yeah. And therefore, that's how the chain happens where that child now behaves that same way and it keeps going to the next generation, to the next generation. Um, and that's that's the reality of, of where we live. Like we want I feel like every generation and and now many in my generation older, everybody just wants to blame. Oh, these kids these days, these kids yeah. these days. And it's like, no, these kids these days are a product of how you parented them. And nobody, again, goes back to something we talk about all the time. Nobody wants to take accountability, right? The parent in society. And therefore, it's like, how do we develop a society considering 
the problems that we have. Many won't even acknowledge that we do have problems. Uh, but I think mental health is specifically a result of how we handle children, how we develop people. As you said, from infancy to adulthood, the reason that we have so many people who are have so many, some of this is obviously scientific. Um, there are people who are just, you know, wired and have mental health issues, but there are other things that are triggered by learned behavior and by experience through society. And the only way I think we're going to fix that is by actually acknowledging that there is a problem. Yeah. And one of the things that I notice in adulthood and how this propagates is that the kids who grew up freaking out whenever something went wrong are actually in the majority, especially in this country. And so you get to adulthood, somebody fails at what they do, and they're still smiling. Everybody around them is pissed. Yeah. Everyone's pissed they're not, ha- they're not unhappy, right? They're like, you should be unhappy. You should, be, you should suffer because I suffer when I'm upset. And it's like for having a, a good mental state, you're, you're a criminal in this country for, for not succumbing to the same bullshit that everyone else has bought into. And I think that to me is like one of the tough parts about taking the steps to open up and realize that you do have control over your mental state is that if something happens that people are stressed about and you're not stressed or if people are upset and you're just grateful, then all of a sudden the problem's with you, according to everybody else, because you're not reacting the same way as them. But in reality, if you think about it, everybody has a problem. You're the only one that's healthy. Yeah. And, you know, you and I both run into this problem, too, right? Because there's this idea that if you're you're spiritually awakened and you are happy, um, that you're also not serious, right? Because it's hard for people to understand when you are serious because, you know, most of the things that I communicate, I don't think through of the lens of how is this going to affect someone emotionally. It's specifically targeted to the situation in a business context. But oftentimes, because I am not considerate, because I'm not worried about like the emotional reactions, therefore I get into trouble because I don't always have the degree of understanding that, hey, sometimes how I project something is going to reflect on that person based on whatever issues that they're dealing with and how they handle, whether it's criticism or how they respond to criticism, how they perceive it throughout their lifetime. And therefore, even though I'm just trying to communicate, hey, this is the problem and I want the solution to the problem, it becomes personal in the sense that it, it it's taken personally based on whatever those issues that you have not worked on to kind of develop the mental state to not let these things affect you beyond the context of the space that you're in. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And that it's, it's so interesting because that whole connection of spiritual to lack of motivation. Is, yeah. It's so funny. Right. It's like when you're happy, you also get way more done and it's, it's effortless. Yeah. And it's like, just because you're happy, you know, if you're an athlete, just because you're happy, does that stop you from putting up 100, 500, 1,000 shots a day? You know what I mean? Like, as a business person, does being happy stop you from taking more meetings and, and doing more shit every day? No, I, I think it improves your, your efficiency to crazy levels. But I still meet people who are like, oh, I'm driven off of fear and off of anxiety or pain. And if I heal, 
you know, I'm, I'm scared that I won't have that motivation. And it's just like, you, you would, that's the most ridiculous argument I've ever, ever heard. That's like saying I'm injured and I, I work out every day. If I'm healthy, I don't feel like I'll have the motivation to work out. You're going to feel so good when you're healthy from doing the work that it's going to be hard to stop doing it. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing that ends up, you end up feeling like you're in a, almost like a lose-lose situation, right? Unless you just go off and join an ashram and, and spend your time. Just if you are actually operating in the capitalist system of America and trying to make a living and survive and pay your bills and you actually are, have the, the, the mental balance to do so without being upset or unhappy. It's almost like a knock against you, right? It's like you should, if you, you should, you should be out there like, you know, in a field somewhere like picking fruit, not actually trying to operate and be successful. It's almost like they don't understand that you can, you know, be serious and be happy at the same time. Yeah, that's that's a hundred percent true, and it's it's the most bizarre thing that I think I've ever experienced. And it's not it's you know it's not just in this country. I think I think even in in most places you'll experience. Yeah, yeah. I I, I use our country because it's where we live always. Yeah. So most yeah. of our listeners are here. So. Yeah, exactly. But it's, I hope I hope we don't have too many listeners over in Russia. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean it's crazy, man. The thing that stands out to me too is that. If you're a happy person in this society, it's to your advantage to not share that. And that's where I get I get shocked, honestly, because it's like, what in what situation is that a good thing for me to not share that I'm happy? You know what I mean? Like, in what world is that what we're trying to accomplish here? Yeah, it's it is the ultimate. It's the ultimate goal. Yeah. You know, it's the ultimate goal is to is to achieve I actually don't even know if it's if it's happiness uh, that's the ultimate goal. I think it's peace, mm. you know, um, because I do think there's also this over stress in terms of like forced happiness too. People who think that happiness means that you're always laughing and always smiling, right? Peace is that even in a serious situation, um, you're calm, yeah, right. Um, and I think that that's the ultimate measure, you know, and, and if, if being happiness is having peace of mind and peace of mind leads to a balance of emotions. You can be sad when you need to be sad. If you have a death in the family, it is okay to be sad in that situation. You can't, you, you, it's okay if something bad happens to you in the workplace to be upset about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But where the balance comes in is how long, and how much does that impact you? There are degrees, you know. Does that mean you have to you have to have the ability to survive through life, to go through adverse situations, and have a system in place where you come out of that adverse situation as quickly as you possibly can? Absolutely, and I think that's that's ultimately you know the actionable step somebody can take from going through this episode and going through the realization of you know if if you're sitting there listening to this and you're realizing how maybe I do have control over my, my mind. How do I take the next step? It's like, well, sit down and start to work through some of the reactions you have to situations, mm-hmm. right? It's like your reaction determines your state of being. It determines your experience of the world. The, there's, there's only two things that happen in the world. There's things that are stimuli and then there's reactions that occur within us. 
if you can make your reaction positive for every single stimuli that comes your way, you will have the best life ever. And that is like the most fundamental absolute truth that I've ever experienced in life is that mm -hmm. you have to convert your reactions. But that means you have to work through your shit. That means that if something goes wrong and you've been told your whole life that you're a failure if something goes wrong, then you have to say to yourself, hey, I'm not a failure. I'm still alive. I'm still here. I'm doing it and I'm going to get better. Right. And make mm -hmm. that happy experience where you can see the good that comes from learning from a failure or growing or whatever whatever happens but um you do have to go through that work as an individual it's not it's not an easy kind of switch flip but mm -hmm. once you have the realization and I, I say realization because it's not about understanding this information it's about feeling it within you once you actually feel the power of your ability to dictate your human experience then it's just a matter of time because once you've realized it, nothing will ever hit you the same way. Every time you have an emotion or an experience, you have the opportunity to alter it with your mind. You, you're able to parse it differently and things get less stingy and less severe and less intense and you start to find control again. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I want to frame this within a word we all know, the idea of getting defensive about something or words that someone communicates to you. Defensiveness comes from what we talked about in the beginning, how you're raised and respond to stimuli over time. The more defensive and more quickly you get defensive about something, that means that you have not done the work to control your mind. Because at the end of the day, the truth of the world is the only thing you have control over is how you communicate and how you feel about your own actions. You have no control over what someone says to you, how they say it to you, or what reasons they have for saying the things that they do. But what you can always control is your reaction to it. And I find the people who get defensive the most easily have done the least work to try to try to control and understand that the end of the day you have no control over the external environment and how they handle you that's like particularly tough for people who are classified as intelligent in our society like if mm -hmm. you if you think your brain runs a little bit faster that means your reflex has to be faster to stop you from going down a bad train of thought right it just makes makes the process more difficult and our society trains you to react and think at such a rapid pace that it's almost instinctual, but they never ask the question, are the reactions we're training people to have the right reactions? They just want you to get that test answer as fast as possible and move on. They want you to you know, build the machine for the company and then build the next thing. And yeah. the boss yells at you because they want more out of you. They want you to really react like a servant. They don't want you to be an individual they want they don't want you to have an opinion and that's like the way that you're brought up in this society and if you start to break out of that box and start to think on your own and differently then it's gonna rub people the wrong way and especially for the people i've met who really think that they're super super brilliant and a lot of them know a lot of things so it's not like you know it's on false ground but they miss the fact that knowing things doesn't mean that you're happy and like just being smart doesn't mean that you're happy being happy is a a totally different skill that everybody has to learn. And at, at some point in that road, you start to realize that the habits that you've been taught of how to use your brain were the wrong habits. They're, they're mentally, you know, unsanitary.
Yeah, and, and you bring up a good point there because I want to say something again here, which is, you know, adulation and recognition oftentimes are just as harmful and have the same effect as criticism does, right? And those people often, I think, in our society, once you are recognized as intelligent, it's almost like you are put, you are separated and parsed out into almost having this special status, right? Like somebody who gets into Harvard, suddenly you are qualified. And because you are at Harvard, your opinion matters more than the person um, who went who who went to, you know, Boston College, you know. Um, and that's also what becomes dangerous with how we value and separate society, right? If the truth is if you are um, gifted with... Um, intelligence um your response your ultimate responsibility for productive society is to exercise that intelligence humbly the best example i can make is albert uses albert einstein and how he wielded his intelligence he's obviously accepted as one of the most brilliant people ever to exist but how he handled people and how he handled solving problems is ultimately very different um, than many of the people that we've we've learned to understand they've they've got different personality types than he does but ultimately when you have ultimate confidence in your intelligence you don't have to defend it it's the same like that's the other thing that kind of bothers me about how society operates this idea that we always have to remind people of how smart we are or what our qualifications are versus just what you say and your work speaking for itself it's almost like Everybody has this defense mechanism of, oh, you know, I went to college here or I've worked this many years. And then using those things as on, on one side, using those things um, to mask insecurities. And on the flip side, you have people who are not humble enough to say, hey, I haven't done the work um, to understand this problem well, um, but I have an opinion and therefore it matters. Right. And that's kind of a interesting thing we're going through in society specifically with science and this pandemic of you know everybody feeling like their their opinion matters um and should help should be important in determining how um how solutions are driven right yeah. and that's not the truth is sometimes your opinion really doesn't matter and i think that's a hard thing for us to to accept yeah i think that's a that's a really good point too is just understanding that the humility side of the whole thing is that no matter how smart you are, people might not just, just might not care what you have to yeah. say. Yeah. That's, that's okay. That's how it is. Yeah. And at the, at the end of the day, it's to your advantage. It's funny, but it's sometimes it's to your advantage um, for people to, to underestimate you. Uh, I, it's, it's a key, it's a key tenant of how I operate. Um, in in my professional life is I allow people to underestimate me because I think it's a it's a better situation to be underestimated than it is to be overestimated or to to be given adulation then you have the weight of expectations right when you don't have the weight of expectations and you are are confident in your ability to deliver you don't have, those weight of those expectations don't impact the work that you're doing and that's the reason that it's important. It's not about, oh, I, I want people to underestimate me because it's a personal thing. No, it allows you to be more effective in the work that you're doing, yeah. in my opinion. 
Absolutely well said. And I think, you know, that if if we're going to start to wind the conversation, wind the conversation to, you know, a conclusion, I think when you really start to look at your life, you'll realize that there's been a big, big system of people kind of reinforcing certain behaviors into your mind so that yes. you are the same as everybody else because all of those people were scared to be different. And if you were fortunate to have parents who dared to be different, you probably don't have a lot of these problems and you probably have a very, very positive and smooth life and experience. But, you know, for the majority of, of the people out there, you're probably finding as you go through your personal journey, different elements and beliefs and, and walls that you didn't know were there in the way your mind is trained to think that really limit you from being the type of person you can be, you know, it's don't do this, don't do that. I can't do this. I can't do that. All the way to the extent of like, oh, I can't pull this off. Why can't you pull off that piece of clothing that, you know, super wild or different? It's because someone else told you you can't, right? Like, mm -hmm. why can't you, you know, I think I think about this all the time with with um, the things I choose to participate in with my life. It's like, why can't I, you know, be a model, which I've done, make music, which I've done, do a podcast, which I'm doing run a business, which I mean, why can't I do all of these things? You know what I mean? And it's like, the only reason I couldn't is because the expectation, even from my community of what I was meant to be is so much smaller than who I truly am inside. You know, and yeah. I think all of us, part of being a human is you have limitless potential and everybody around you wants you to be limited. And, and once you find that you're, you're unlimited and you can really truly be anything you want and like, the experience of being everything at once is an experience of total love. It's not an experience that's negative. It's not power oriented. It's just pure bliss and connection to the universe and connection to yourself. And I, I just truly believe everybody can feel that experience. You just have to dare to challenge the conventions that have been placed around you. And it's going to, it's going to rub people the wrong way. You're going to have your friends, your family members, the people closest to you start to limit you because they have an idea of who you, who you've been, but, they fail to recognize like an, an idea of who you've been is just an accumulation of experiences, but the past experiences don't dictate the next experience. In this moment, you can do any single thing that you want to do. And so if you have free will, which most of us believe we do, then nothing in your past should affect your future. Yeah. It's just you that affects your future. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll close out with, with this this thought too is i think um the end of the day you know everything around you and everyone around you because the biggest issue we all face is the impact of others opinions that matter to us typically are always going to be um filled with criticism of what you can and can't do and when you realize that we live in a society of unhappy people for the most part a lot of unhappiness um and People are projecting their fears oftentimes. Jay-Z has a famous interview where he says, oftentimes people project their fears on you. He said he had an uncle who said he'd never sell a million records. And he said, I've sold a million records a, a million times. You know, he's being, he's being exaggerated, but not the idea that I'm trying to project here is to not get upset at the people who are projecting those limitations on you that's a reflection of where they're at mentally. But if you allow that, and if you accept that that's just 
a factor of who they are and you don't get upset at them for that and you just accept it, it also helps with growth. This whole idea of like, you know, paying attention to your haters. At the end of the day, everybody's just a group of people who have their own opinions and their own thoughts and whatever limiting beliefs they have, it's a reflection of issues that they face that you have no control over and oftentimes they have no control over. So that's another thing that I think the final thing I want to dismiss about controlling mindset is just by labeling, even labeling someone a hater, you've you've qualified your mind in a certain way um, to approach and, 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 and look at people a certain way versus just saying, okay, that's their opinion, you know? It might be negative, you know, they, they don't have much belief in me, that's fine. But I think oftentimes in society, whether subconsciously, those opinions end up mattering and limiting you from the growth that you need to have. Yeah. And the beauty of those opinions is they can serve as fuel. Yes. Yes. Well, on that note, uh, this has been an amazing episode. As always, um, remember, at the end of the day, be you. You is fly. Pilot Boys out.
Boys, we get on up.